Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. The Dublin Story Slam podcast is a monthly open mic storytelling night that takes place in the Sugar Club in the heart of the city. Now this podcast celebrates all kinds of stories recorded on stage each month. From love stories to laugh out loud stories, stories that make you sigh to stories that make you think. But the thing that they all have in common is that they're all true, they're all personal, and they're told live on stage at the Dublin Story Slam. This is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. My name is Julian Clancy and I produce the Dublin Story Slam and joining me is, of course, the man who is the wafer to our wafer ice cream sandwich. It is Mr. Colin Morrigan. Thank you, Julian. Uh, It's great to be here once again and I will proudly wear the label of ice cream wafer. Basically, I help the handling of the night. You stop things getting too messy. Exactly. I keep your hands clean. So the theme for this episode, episode number four of the Dublin Story Slam podcast is travel. And we've chosen this purely because, I mean, I'm actually in the middle of my holidays and um, just came back from Sligo. I'm going to go to Wexford uh, next week and it's all really, really exciting. Uh, You've just come back from your holidays as well. Um, So it just, I don't know, it kind of seemed to fit. It's very hard to talk about work when there's a holiday vibe around. It's easy to talk about holidays when you're at work. So I think it would it behooves us to talk about uh, holidays at this time of year and when yeah. we're both in that frame of mind. And not just holidays, but that idea of, of, of travel, really. Um, sometimes, you know, something happens to you when you're en route to somewhere that can actually become bigger than the place that you actually arrive in. So we've chosen three stories that are, um, two of them are set in Greece, uh, coincidentally, and uh, another one is set in Alaska. And it's again, it's all about sometimes when you leave the comfort of your home and your daily routine, you know, strange things can happen to you and spontaneously. And I mean, have you ever felt like that sometimes when you've, you know, left the country en route to somewhere? Yeah, I think it's something about being away from all the stuff that makes up your own life. The fact that you're bringing things with you leads to extra tension, forgetfulness and (laughs) the consequences thereof. The first story that we're going to play is from our Grand Slam. And maybe, Colin, you, you've hosted our Grand Slam. Maybe just tell us what exactly is the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam is the best of the best. It's 10 storytellers who are winners of individual Story Slam nights. They come together on a magical night at the end of the year. They tell a story on the theme of that night in front of a lovely, warm audience in 
some of the finest venues Dublin has to offer. We are going to play this story from uh, Doreena Doyle, uh, who was, I think, the third storyteller uh, on the night. And uh, it's about a trip uh, that she takes to uh, Alaska. And it just has so many wonderful, unexpected turns uh, that I think it's uh, people will really enjoy it. So this is Doreena yeah, Doyle. Hi, everyone. Um, so this is a story I like to call, um, What Do You Mean I'm Being Deported? And uh, <laughs> so I grew up in a very large family, and I, I was, I'm the youngest of a large family in a small town in, in rural Ireland. And um, to, to stay away from the parental limelight, I just became a goody-goody two-shoes, and I kind of still am. Um, so I did my homework first thing in the, in the afternoon when I came home from school. I did my chores first thing on a Saturday morning, and I picked the, um, the subjects in school that my mum wanted me to pick, and I went to the college and the course that she picked out for me that she thought would be good for me. It turned out it was. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I came out on the other side that I realised the decision was now mine to make, and I just thought, shit, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I panicked. I took the first job offer that came my way, and I moved to Germany. Um, and, you know, they spoke a different language there and they had a different currency and they drove on the other side of the road and it was cold, it snowed constantly, it was December. And as soon as I landed, I just cried. I just wanted to go back home. But this was the first decision that I had ever made myself and I was, I was determined to see it through. So um, the first three months probably were really tough and I cried probably way more than I'd care to admit. But... Um, I was, I was here, I was working in a field that was dominated by men, surrounded by men that had more experience than me and were, were older than me. And I struggled to show them that I was worth this position. And I started to doubt my own self-worth as well. But the alternative was to go right back home and with my tail between my legs and ask my mum, what should I do next, you know? So I was just, no, this isn't, I'm going to do this. And, and I stayed there and I rustled up my best, leaving Cert German. And I, I kind of worked hard and, and it was a success. Um, and unknowingly, right then, I didn't realize that, that that decision to move to Germany and stay in Germany was, was a fundamental turning point in my life that let me know that I could make these decisions and I could end up in these like, terrible, well, not terrible, but these hard situations that, you know, it was just chaos. And I enjoyed it. I really thrived in this environment of just being completely out of my comfort zone and completely lost and off the grid. Um, and what it did for me is I, as soon as stuff started to become routine, I would move on and I would find something else. I would find a new adventure. And these adventures, they brought me to Coventry and to Donegal and to Chicago and to, to Toronto and, and to Alaska, where I had my run-in with the law. So I was, I was working in Alaska, but I visited a wee town that was in, north, in the north of the state because I wanted to see the northern lights. I mean, who doesn't want to see the northern lights? And I was going to see them. So I was getting on a train, um, an old steam train, um, and I was just climbing up the steps, you know, the, the, the steps up onto the train. And some guy behind me decided he needed to be the first person on the train. So he accomplished this by grabbing my shoulder and pulling me back. And I went flailing, you know, and I'm, I've never been called graceful. So there was arms flailing everywhere. Um, and I grabbed him to stop myself from falling, and he pulled out of my grip with force, and, and I went one way, he went the other way, and I'm, like, landed. Now, Alaska's pretty wild, and there's bears and moose and stuff everywhere, so people tend to carry guns around. And apparently, when I was falling, it was his gun that I grabbed. Like, it was, it was right here, a big gun on his hip. But I was just, like, grabbing for my life. You know, I, I saw death behind me, basically. 
And um, so I grabbed his gun, and that's why the force of the pulling out ended up both apart. So I'm on the floor, like on all fours or on my back, starfish. And um, he's, he's jumping up, shouting assault and saying, she tried to take my gun or some shit like that. And uh, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just a little bit freaking out on, this, on, the, uh, on the platform. And I hear these thunderous footsteps charging behind me. And I thought, these are his friends coming to get me. And oh my God, they're never going to find my body and all this. And because um, I'm, in, I'm in Alaska, nobody really knows where I am. And uh, so, well, I grew, like I said, I grew up in a large family with a lot of brothers and and they taught me one thing, well, one, one valuable thing, and that's, if you're in trouble, aim for the balls. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did without hesitation. I just kind of got up on my knees and I swung my arm and I just punched this cop in the balls. <laughs> so he, he kind of went down with that. You know, you know that, that grunt. And he just kinda he just kinda fell and I immediately I recognize I'm in big trouble. I throw up my hands, I'm like, oh my god, I'm sorry, it wasn't me, you know, kind of thing. And and the the guy who had pushed me, he's standing there now and he's shouting I should be arrested for assault and trying to disarm him and, and the cop is lying on the ground just like cupping himself and his partner is standing behind him and he's got a taser out. And I, my life is flashing before my eyes. But thankfully, he's kind of laughing. He sees this situation. He read it for what it was. But like this guy's still kicking up a fuss. So I get escorted to the police station and questioned about my intent and what am I doing here and all this sort of stuff. Um, so like right in that moment, I never felt so alone or so lost or so scared. But because I had you know been going through all these different trips and challenges and stuff, I was ready to kind of talk my way out of this. I just explained to the guy what happened. I explained about my brothers and my defense mechanisms and stuff. And he, he can't, they all, they agreed not to press charges, not to like assaulting police officer charges or assaulting random train guy charges or anything. And I think, you know, this, this is the end. I'm, I can go on my way. But this is a tiny wee, ha- wee town in, in northern Alaska. There's, there's one hotel. It's not even a hotel. It's a bar with a couple of rooms. And they say if I go to this hotel and I run into this guy, there could be trouble. So they, they tell me I have to leave town. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm a goody two-shoes, so I'm going to do whatever these guys want me to do. Um, but it's northern Alaska. It's winter. It's snowing. All the roads are closed. So they escort me to the airport, and I get put on the first plane out of there, which happened to be f- to Vancouver, and I was, like, pretty much deported. <laughs> um, I've, I've been lost. I've been geographically lost, emotionally lost, mentally lost. And um, it wasn't until I go through all these different challenges that I realize the power that it gives me to be able to cope in these situations, um, to cope with my job, which is constantly changing, and to cope with my life as people kind of come and go, some more permanently. I've always figured that if I'm lost, I'm, I'm a little bit hidden, and if I'm hidden, I'm a little bit more free. Thank you. That was Dorina Doyle, who uh, was one of our Grand Slam storytellers from last year, uh, telling that amazing uh, story on stage at the Abbey Theatre. Um, I was squirming in my seat <laughs> for a particular scene in that story. What about you, Gal? Yeah, it was quite groinal at the pivotal point. All right. I loved the idea that 
in the midst of a crisis, there is this defense mechanism that has been taught over the years and springs into play. It's it's the fight part of fight or flight, definitely. But it is it was unorthodox yet effective. I wonder is there is there always? I mean, we've heard a few stories on stage at the Dublin Story Slam where the the the, part, the day is saved because you know you find out that the part, that the central character is Irish, you know that just being Irish kind of gets you out of that scrape, and it kind of you kind of got that sense maybe the cop gave her a break because ah oh, she grew up in a big Irish family and you know this is she was only reacting to how she was brought up. It's also possible that the cop on seeing whoever had instigated the problem, the fact that he, you know, tried to get on the train first and was carrying a gun, which is perfectly fine, like carrying chewing gum there. Obviously, they they read it very quickly and said the best thing would be if these two are kept apart. And it's probably best that this woman is escorted out, out of town. I love the idea of people being escorted out of town, just like in the in the Wild West or something like that. It also struck me that I don't know how long ago this was, but in the more trigger happy, if it's even possible, state of the United States now and the more tense behavior of cops there now, whether it could have had a different turn. Maybe this was in slightly more innocent times. So I think Darina probably had a had a a bruising encounter, but also possibly a lucky escape. Um, our next storyteller is going to bring us to somewhere a little hotter, and that is Greece. And uh, this is a story from um, Pauline uh, Curtin, who has told uh, a lot of stories at the Story Slam before. Um, how would you describe uh, Pauline, Carl? Pauline is somebody who, when I listen to her, I think, that's a novel, that's a novel. It's just, she has the writer's, I think she's a writer anyway, but she has the writer's eye, but the performer's description as well so it's it's great listening to Pauline's story and she's told a few over the over the months and years and I look forward to Pauline's um, Mamma Mia style blockbuster <laughs> movie uh, book adaptation well she's already in the uh, in the right setting because we are going to bring you now to uh, to Greece uh, so this is Pauline Curtin Hi. A few years ago, I woke up in hospital after a very severe asthma attack. And it occurred to me that the money I was saving for my future um, might be better used now because there might not be a future. Um, So I decided I would rent a villa on a Greek island for a month. Now, the thing is, I didn't know I had asthma. I had a bit of a cough for a few months and then one night I couldn't breathe and unfortunately it was a Friday night so not a great night to go to A&E so I waited till the next day which was not a good idea because apparently I nearly snuffed it. So then a friend came to visit me in hospital, well you know, um, friend, um, an acquaintance uh, who speaks in aphorisms like he could work for hallmark cards and he said what would make your heart truly sing right now (laughs) and what i wanted to say was to have enough health insurance not to share a room with a woman who pisses in the bed and everywhere else (laughs) but what came out of my mouth was um to put my toes in the 
a GNC and feel the hot Greek sun on my face. Because that was the sort of holiday I used to have when I was married and had someone to go on holidays with. But then the husband ran off with a young one and I didn't bother with holidays anymore, apart from weeks in family-friendly hotels. Well, child-friendly hotels in the west of Ireland when I brought my kids. Now, they were child-friendly, but they weren't feckin' single mother-friendly. But I did get used to eating alone in a corner under a potted plant in the dining room. <laughs> and there was a few other holidays I did. I did these self-improvement holidays, personal development holidays, which a lot of divorced and separated people go on because we... Well, A, you can go on your own, and B, there's this idea that if you become a better person, your life will change for the better. I never became a better person. <laughs> Sometimes I think I became a worse person. And to be honest, I got nothing out of these holidays except frequent requests from, for sex from other people who lost out on the marriage dream. So I decided it was time to be brave and finally have that holiday that I'd always wanted. So fortunately, I knew someone who lived on a remote Greek island, a friend of mine called Nico, and I asked him if he could find me a house to rent for a month. And he did. He had a friend who'd gone to America and she rented out her house to friends and friends of friends. And it was a fabulous house. I mean, it was just amazing. It was very Greek. It was just one big open plan house with like eight stone steps up to a sleeping platform, they call it. It was a mezzanine and there was just a bed up there. And then there was this uh, balcony where I used to sit in the evening and have a glass of pink wine and watch the sun drop behind the mountains across the valley after spending the day on the beach. And it was idyllic. In fact, oh yeah, the other thing it, it didn't have was it didn't have a TV and it didn't have any internet and there was no phone. So the combination of all this made me extremely relaxed, like more relaxed than I knew was possible. So the month just flew like that. And towards the end of the month, one day I came into my house and I noticed there was a an apple missing from a bowl on the table. And because I was so relaxed, it didn't kind of bother me. And then later that evening, I picked up one of the other apples and I noticed there were teeth marks in the bottom of it. And um, they were very strange teeth marks. They weren't human teeth marks. But again, I was so relaxed. <laughs> I didn't worry. Um, I should have worried. So that night, I fell asleep within a minute of putting down my John Grisham novel, because that's all I had to do, was read. And it was a very hot night, and you couldn't wear much in bed in, in Greece, because it was so hot, and I couldn't even put the sheet over me, it was so hot, so I just lay on top of the bed. And about an hour later, I was woken by a sort of warm, heavy movement across my naked thigh and I thought I was dreaming but and I kind of have thought well if I go back to sleep straight away it'll be grand in the morning <laughs> but I thought about it too long and I was fully awake so I turned on the bedside light and screamed 
But I couldn't see, you know, what it was. So then there was another switch beside the bed, which lit up the whole house. And I switched that on, and I got up, and I looked down, and there in the middle of the flagstones on the downstairs floor was this, like, enormous rat. It was a black furry rat, and I didn't know they could be that big. And it had a, a big, long tail. So I did what any woman would do, screamed even louder. And the rat was so frightened it ran into a cupboard. So, but the cupboard had no key on it, so I rushed downstairs and put the table against the cupboard. And then I put all the other furniture in the house on top of the table <laughs> to, um, to keep it in. But the rat wasn't happy, so it kept gnawing at the, the door. And he made such a racket, I, couldn't, I, was, I thought he'd get out. So I, I locked myself in the bathroom and slept in the bath that night. So the next morning I went down to the village and got my friend Nico to come up and help me get rid of the rat. So when we opened the cupboard, the first thing we saw on a high shelf was the apple, the missing apple. And then the rat came out and we had two brooms and we chased it. But if we went to the right, he'd go to the left. And this went on for an hour until finally Nico got him in a corner and was about to deliver the fatal blow and the rat jumped up and screamed. I didn't know a rat could jump up either. But anyway, <laughs> in that scream, it was terror. And I just recognized that terror. It was that kind of terror of what the fuck is going to happen to me next. And I kind of recognized that. And I felt sorry for the rat. And I told Nico, no, don't kill it. I had compassion for the rat. So on the way home, I realized, my God, I had compassion for a rat. I'm not such a bad person after all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll have someone to go on holidays with one of these days. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Pauline Corden, ladies and gentlemen. 
That was Pauline Curtin there with her uh, story of uh, an idyllic retreat turning into something quite dark and sinister, especially uh, uh, given the story of the rats that have been in the news recently, uh, up in, unfortunately for the residents in Smithfield and everything like that. So, my God, the, the size of that some of them can grow to is, is pretty, pretty astonishing. Uh, what did you think of that story, Colin? I loved it and I thought it uh, appropriate that the book she put down was a thriller, a John Grisham <laughs> book. That was the last thing she was reading before she went to bed because she built the tension so perfectly. You know, you had the the missing apple and then the teeth marks and then it's nighttime. Mm. And we were all thinking, something's happening, you shouldn't be this relaxed. And uh, the, the warm weight running across her, perfectly described and... I'm still, I knew she, I knew everything was fine. Mm-hmm. I knew the rat hadn't killed Pauline because she mm-hmm. was standing there in front of me. But at the same time, that's the mark of a great storyteller, that even though you know it's going to be fine roughly, mm-hmm. you assume, the tension is still there. It's, you're absolutely glued to what she has to say. Yeah. Um, our next and final story for today's uh, episode is uh, again set in Greece. Um, and this is a, a very uh, different kind of story because I suppose it's a, well, Greece traditionally, as Pauline was, was talking about, you know, is your, your beautiful tourist location. Uh, but this presents it in a very different light. And it's from Daisy um and it's from Daisy McCarthy, who was our Grand Slam winner uh, for uh, 2017. And again, Daisy has told a few stories uh, on stage. This is her most recent story um, that she's shared on stage. But um, again, wh- how would you describe uh, Daisy, Colm? She is the kind of person that I think things happen to. <laughs> <laughs> and But she gets control of the situation. You know, she she, she seems to move within in the pathway of lots of events and stuff yeah and random occurrences and even though sometimes when she's telling the story you feel that Daisy is all at sea she's kind of in control as well in some ways so it's it's great it's great to listen to her hello um i am uh ye average, well-meaning but convenient millennial who feels a bit of guilt about my uh, own privileged existence. So since I was around 19, every couple of years I would go and um, save the world in honeymoon locations. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, Fiji and Sri Lanka and Tanzania and Kenya, I really cared. And, you know... Um, and I did care, you know, in my 19-year-old way and, and as the years progressed. And initially I taught English, but I just left out grammar because I just didn't understand it. Um, and then I moved on to pulling teeth, not on a whim. I'm a trained dentist, so don't do that in Kenya. Um, uh, and, um, and I did it, you know, I did it, you know, to, to kind of salvage my guilt, but also to feel good. And there was benefits on my CV. There was a big, long, uh, you know, <laughs> volunteering aspect. And also once on a date, I, I knew I'd lost the guy, but, um, uh, but, but in order, I, and a last ditch effort, I found myself in a kind of out of body experience, listing chronologically. <laughs> All of the, the times I saved the world. It turns out boasting about voluntourism is not an aphrodisiac. Um, 
Um, uh, and around uh, in 2015, I mean, we all saw the terrible images of uh, the three-year-old Syrian Alan Kurdi um, on the beach in, in Greece. And I, you know, I now had a genuine skill and there was actually something genuinely I could do nearby. And so I signed up with a, a charity called Dentaid and I went uh, last October to a refugee camp in the island of Lesvos um, called Moira Le- Refugee Camp, which used to be a prison. It was kind of like an open prison now um, and it was it was originally meant to house 4,000 people and then it but at, when I went in in October last year there was 8,000 people housed and the extras were in kind of tents kind of like your festival tents where two people with in a festival in body and soul would be in an inflatable mattress and there was families of six there and so we went into the camp and I was really apprehensive and so um, as I walked into the camp I kept my sunglasses on because I didn't know what I was going to see from what I'd read in the media. I didn't know, um, I didn't, I wanted to look, I didn't want them to see me looking, I was nervous. Um, and um, what the atmosphere was like was a little bit um, like if you've been to an airport and um, uh, weather stops everything and everyone just stays and waits. It kind of combined with the atmosphere of a beach on a day like today or last Sunday, where just kids, kids are just, parents are just trying to keep an eye on kids that are up for manic mischief um and um and we got to work it was me and four other dentists um in a kind of a container and outside there was loads of people in tents raised up from the ground in pallets because they were preparing for the winter um and I got to know the people and I got to know the man who had lost his heart medication when his boat had capsized um and there was an Afghan 20 year old who came on the first day to help translate for his friend he had been there for 18 months um and he um had learned English in that time he was just waiting to be transitioned on and so he knew we needed people to speak far which is kind of like Persian and so he helped us the whole way through and then on the sixth day he actually got toothache and he needed to take his tooth out and I was taking his tooth out and he stopped me halfway through because there was another Afghan family that needed translating and he stopped halfway through to help them um, and there was little kids in the tent outside and um, to, we didn't bring toys uh, so I blew up my glove into little balloons and there were three-year-old boys so um, it got progressively shorter and shorter before their balloons burst until day six I was there taking out a tooth and there was a pull in my leg and it was a three-year-old being like blow a balloon up <laughs> via sign language um, and what what uh, what was different from all the other places I had ever been volunteering is um, half of the people who had toothache I know I'm getting a bit toothachey but listen that was my business um, uh, half of the people who had toothache um, normally when I'd been to other places they were like take the tooth out Thanks. Um, but these people had been in, lived in cities like Dublin and they had had their dentist and they had their lives and they knew that when you had toothache you could also save the tooth and half of the people refused to have the tooth out because they knew they were going to a place and they were going to make a life for themselves and they were going to um, uh, be able to afford healthcare and so they, they wanted to save the tooth and so that was really hard and when I was um uh, I uh, during the day the only time I crossed the camp was to go to the loo and after that first time with the sunglasses I realized actually whatever about the 150 people we ended up treating in the week 
what was more important was when I was walking through the camp, all the people who were watching me, because it was the first time I, I realised that it was the first time for them that they had seen a civilian European. And so I made um, an effort to smile and make eye contact and, um, and just try to nod my head as to say welcome and safe passage. Um, and what was probably hardest for me was not even the stories that they told me or their life in the camp, though it was hard, it was probably being concerned about the prejudice maybe that awaited them in where they were going, um, where they had hoped that they would get a new life, but where the media and um, government were had switched from refugees to migrants in terminology. Um, and... Um, and that um, governments were warning that we'd that there'd be flooded, etc., of people, and we'd lose our own livelihoods. Um, and um, so I came back to Ireland, um, and this is, <laughs> and I basically <clears throat> switched, went into back into my own life. And um, frankly, I was single, and the clay was drying, so I had to look. <laughs> for a life partner um, and I had been quite sure that I was going to find someone Irish who had got their sex ed in the Grail Tucked um, uh, but after that was before Greece but after Greece I thought God maybe we're actually all kind of the same and I had uh, previously been dabbling with an impossibly handsome Brazilian um, uh, without intent um, uh, without much conversation and when I came back uh, we started talking um, and eight months later we're married so uh, <laughs> So, I guess if, if there's a truth, um, the truth is uh, really that um, when, no matter what narrative we've been taught, either implicitly or explicitly, um, that we really genuinely are all the same. And um, maybe if we do understand that and take a beat to make a connection and make eye contact or start a conversation, you never know that you might get the connection you always looked for. Daisy McCarthy there. Congratulations. That was Daisy McCarthy there with uh, her story that she told at last month's uh, Story Slam where the theme of the night was truth. And the thing I love about that story is that it it paints a different picture um, of people who have been portrayed on the media um, and it's it's one where they have dignity, you know. They're, they're thinking of their lives, what is waiting around the corner for when they get off this feckin', you know, large tent city and actually start to try and rebuild, you know, those lives uh, that, that, for, that would, in a lot of cases were very similar to the lives that we live here in Dublin. You know, the only thing that separates them is is, is being trapped in that city. And she meets them one at a time, you know, she treats one toothache at a time. So that's she, we get shown images of them. And even though the images are distressing, they are portrayed as a lump of humanity. Mm. And therefore, our ability to identify with them is in some ways uh, reduced by the fact that we don't hear the individual stories or we don't see their needs as similar to ours. Like... I remember listening at the time and going, of course, yeah, they would need dentists. Yeah. You know, like you forget about the normal 
the normal stuff and or just the person thinking about well if I go for a job and I don't have you know teeth because they've been removed because I you know I'm living in really bad conditions you know on 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 an island then you know what does that do for my job prospects you know it's not a, a case of you know a very humble um kind of oh I will accept anything it's a proud people a, you know and a person that's kind of thinking of that they want to rebuild that life and hold on to that dignity that they had you know when they were um living at home so a really powerful story that kind of that's right. knocked me for sex I did like the expression dabbling as well too <laughs> my dabbling days are behind me but I wish everyone the best in their dabbles as I I think dabble would be a great name for an alternative name for Tinder. <laughs> you know, you could... Do you dabble? Do you dabble? And, you know, I, I don't know what, what what the swiping... Maybe it is a different kind of... Um, yeah, wobble you kind of, of your hand. Yeah, you shake the phone <laughs> to indicate... You shake the phone to indicate a match <laughs> or not. And, uh, yeah, so congratulations to Daisy as well, too. Yes, we uh, met the husband on the night... My God, that man has a strong handshake. Is that right? <laughs> I was nearly bouncing up and down off the ground uh, with him. So uh, I wish them, well, we both wish that the, the yeah. pair of them uh, uh, much happiness uh, for the future. And also, you know, at the same time, don't settle down and become too settled because we, we want to hear more stories, you know, from getting into trouble. Um, so we hope to hear more stories from now, Daisy. Now Daisy and <laughs> Mr. Dabble can get into trouble together hey, and tell their know. stories in future story slams. So we really hope that you've enjoyed this particular episode. We have another Story Slam that's coming up on August 14th where the theme is friend or foe. So if you like it, uh, maybe you'll buy tickets for it, come along to it, or even better, you might even get up there and share a story uh, yourself as well. So head over to the DublinStorySlam.com for more information on that. And we will see you or hear you or be in your room, be in your lives uh, for next month when we uh, bring you three brand new stories. And this time we are going to be on the theme of work. So we'll talk to you then. And it's a goodbye from me as well. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.